Hi everyone, we're Lana Mercedes and we're the Onion Peelers. And today we are talking about the eight-limbed path. The path to what? The path to enlightenment. Oh wow, I want to go there right away. (laughs) Tell me mama, tell me how to get there. (laughs) Follow the yellow brick road, Dorothy. Oh. <laughs> yep. Talking about the eight limbs. <clears throat> I mean, these eight limbs. Right, this is the path technically to enlightenment. But these eight limbs, I think, are a path just to living a good life. Yeah. Because whether you become enlightened or not, if you walk this path, it has so many profound benefits to becoming a better version of you yeah we could say path to self-realization to self better self-fulfillment self-betterment self-betterment is that a word i don't know yeah self-improvement that sounds a bit mechanical but yeah self-improvement self-development yeah so now let me ask you the following. <laughs> oh God, what? Okay. Are you ready to peel this onion? Mercedes, <laughs> I have been waiting to peel this onion. This gets me every time, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. To which, by the way, people, we're sitting on Lana's beautiful new couch. Yes. And then on top of my lap, I have one of the beautiful cats. <laughs> So I'm very happy. <laughs> Maybe we should mention because um, that the Eightfold Path in Sanskrit is called Ashtanga Yoga. This is true. That's a good point to make. We'll come back to that later on. But so Ashto meaning eight. Yes. Anga meaning limb. So we have eight limbs. <clears throat> Basically, this guy who wrote down these... Um, this method kind of like this whole thing about yoga when he wrote it down his name is Patanjali often when he would write things because he wrote things in lists so often when he would write things the most important things would be said first yeah because maybe it's handy to tell our listeners that uh, Patanjali also he, he collected everything and put it in a way that is very easy to not just to read, but to follow and to yeah. learn. He basically made a guide that was available kind of to everybody, even though generally in those times this was a guide meant for people who were already on the path of yoga, mm-hmm. so people who were already kind of leaving, leading a, a, like an ascetic a spiritual life. Though we now often see this as a guide for like the householder for the for the everyday person because yeah back then everything was oral tradition so all these things were passed down from teacher to student and he was considered a sage he he wrote down things in a very digestible way that's that's a good point yeah digestible i think also what's interesting to realize is that pretty much Modern psychology comes from a lot of yogic philosophy. 
from the sutra. So a part of this eight limb path <coughs> is part of the sutras. Yeah, that's what Patanjali wrote. Well, it's a big part of the of the second chapter of his uh, work, the Sarana Para. Yeah, the chapter on practice, we could say. Yeah. And this eight-limbed path is part of one of the branches of yoga because you can reach enlightenment in different ways, but this is part of Raja Yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, The royal yoga, we could say. And also included in that is like the yoga of action, right? So uh, we have to do stuff to get to the top. Kriya Yoga. Which, yeah, which also you have to do stuff to get to the top in other ways. Like in Bhakti, we chant and sing or... Mm -hmm. Uh, you can study texts, all that stuff. Do good deeds with karma yoga, etc. Yeah. So this is a path that we can we can follow. Uh, also to get to the to get to the top of the mountain, and so at the top of this mountain is a beautiful view. A beautiful view. <laughs> a clear view of. Ah. Oh. God, it sounds so good right now. I know. I would like to be on the top of the mountain. Man, more than anything. Sucking up some fresh mountain air. Oh, yeah. I can see it. No clouds, (laughs) no fog, no rain. Yeah. Just pure bliss. Okay, well, we're at the bottom of the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) We're definitely at the bottom. We're in the mud. Um... Okay, but what we were saying is that Patanjali often wrote things in lists, and the first thing on the list is usually the most important. Which, by the way, it's kind of funny that he's eight, because he normally goes for four or five, right? I can't remember. Magical always, numbers are like three and nine. I always have, I always have a feeling that it's always five with him, but uh, yeah, yeah Ashto is eight. Good. And, you know, these lists, the first things are the most important, which I any good strong house is built on a solid foundation um, so these are really laying the foundation for everything that comes beyond because even though we might start out here on this part of the path we're supposed to carry this part of the path with us it's not that we just pass through from point A to point B and, and then we forget a about it disappears yeah. point A then kind of goes into point B and we have it all with us. These eight limbs, they kind of work together and with each other as opposed to one on top of each other. Yeah. And even though one is not more important than the other, I would say that the first limbs, without the first limbs, you can't go to the next limbs. Or the foundation of anything else that you do should be built upon or... Uh, the action or whatever it is, the, the steps that you take should be built upon the foundation of everything that comes before it. Yeah, otherwise it's like the rest is kind of empty. Yeah. Okay, so maybe we should... Take a step onto <laughs> the path. Take a step onto the first limb. So the first limb is called the yamas. The yamas are like social graces or um, restraints. Basically how we act. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that it's very much translated with restraints, but that yeah. always makes me kind of like... Because it's not really restraints. It's like... No. I don't it's a know. guideline. It's exactly, I was just guideline. about to say. I think, I think it's really nice to call them guidelines because also they are... 
Well, hopefully, if your parents, you got good education from your parents and stuff, a lot of these yamas are already there. Yeah. It's about how you act in the world yeah. and it's towards like moral, others. Some moral code. I mean, if you think about it, Christianity has these, Buddhism definitely has these very similar. Yeah. Uh, Uh, behave like how we should behave, how we should act towards others, and then also how we should act towards ourselves. Um, and of course, I think any religion has that as well, like a moral code. And uh, if we think of ethics and how society functions, we also have like a moral code and basically to. Well, hopefully, hope. yeah. I think a <laughs> yeah. few people are forgetting this. <laughs> this is definitely true. All right, so this first one is basically... I think Trump should read the Ashtanga Yoga. I don't think that he would understand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that would be very good. Our first, very first yama is ahimsa. So what does that mean? What does that mean to you, Mercedes? Yeah, nonviolence. Do what you can to to avoid inflicting suffering on others. Would you also apply this to yourself? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think a lot of people automatically assume that this means being a vegetarian or a vegan, right? That's the automatic kind of coupling of ahimsa to being a vegetarian. Mm. And I can I can definitely see why. Yeah that is happening but I think it's a lot bigger broader than that yeah. yes and and okay in this case we're talking about the yama so it's in regards with the world around us but definitely it starts with the world within us right there are so many ways that you can uh, cause pain in others not just by hurting them physically but yeah yeah words behaviors Which I think there's the um, the Christian uh, commandment of do unto others as you would have done unto no, you. Yeah. What is it in Spanish? Yeah, now I forgot, but yeah, something like trata al prójimo como te tratan a ti mismo or something like that. Yeah, don't do to others what uh, you wouldn't want done. You wouldn't want to do to yourself. Oh, look, we have. Oh, We each have a cat. <laughs> so happy. <laughs> oh, I wish we had a, a picture of this. Going, you know. Yeah. Oh my God, it's hilarious. Lana has one cat. I have the other one. Perfect. We're balanced. We're in harmony. We're balanced, now. and we're both wearing blue pants. We're definitely balanced. At least this time, <laughs> the top is a little <laughs> bit different. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, ahimsa, nonviolence. I think it's interesting because if we think of ahimsa, is also In, in the sense that like Avijja when we were talking about the kleshas is the thing that if we get this one down then we have them all mm -hmm. I think Ahimsa is also very much like this yeah. so if we speak uh, uh, without causing harm if we if our thoughts are not causing harm if our actions are not causing harm then we're pretty yeah it's kind of like have good intentions yeah So yeah. that it's it's a healthy soil that you're planting everything yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. So then we move on to uh, number two, which is satya. So we should uh, make clear that we're still talking about the niyamas. Uh, uh, the sorry, yamas. excuse me, about the yamas. Yes, yes, we are still talking about the yamas. The yamas are five. 
Yeah. And there you go. You see five. Yeah, there we go. Five. <laughs> so satya is the next yama. Truthfulness. Truthfulness. And truthfulness, of course, there should be ahimsa involved in speaking the truth or... <laughs> yeah. Not like the Dutch tr truthfulness. <laughs> the Dutch are so blunt, by the way. But, uh... <laughs> It's like, hmm, you look very ugly today. <laughs> They can be like that. No, but you know, seriousness, uh, truthfulness. Yeah, be truth in what you say. Don't pretend to be someone who you're not. Yeah. Don't, I don't know what else can be a good, uh, if someone is asking you something, then be honest. Yeah. But also, you have to take ahimsa into account. So yeah. that's when non-harming uh, yeah exactly because also sometimes not speaking is causing more harm than speaking and there's also there's such a fine balance between this I yeah. think of course you could philosophize philosophize <laughs> if that's a word if that's a word these things to you know infinity yeah but uh, these are basically basic guidelines to give you A direction in your compass because sometimes you do think need to say things that will uh, cause pain in somebody else but they do need to be said you know yeah so it's how then how you say it i think it also really depends on the context and yeah. and, and what is happening yeah of course so one might be yeah way more than the other yeah but absolutely Yeah, so being truthful is uh, an important being and being truthful. This is not just to others, but also being truthful with ourselves is important. <clears throat> so these don't just apply to how we interact with the world around us, but also how we interact with ourselves. Well, they kind of have to start yeah. within ourselves, right? So yeah. that they can ripple out. So number three, the third yama is asteya. Non-stealing. Non-stealing. Don't take what is not yours. That's right. <laughs> People out there, <laughs> keep your hands in your pockets. Yeah. This can apply to so many things. Oh, yeah. Don't take other people's time. Energy. Don't take people's, other, people's energy. Attention. Don't take what is not offered to you. Yeah. Yeah, and literally don't steal. <laughs> Don't steal ideas. Don't steal ideas. Don't steal formulas. Nope. Yeah, you can apply it to so many things. Don't steal boyfriends and girlfriends. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, don't steal yoga postures that are not yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The Ashtanga police will find you. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. Non-stealing. Asteya. And then we get to another... Good one. <laughs> yeah. Number four. So we also have to keep in mind when these were written and the context that they were written in. But uh, so the fourth yama is called brahmacharya. <coughs> brahmacharya means, uh, yeah, continence, right? Uh, uh, what is that word in English? Is Sexual uh, abstinence. Abstinence, yeah. So... This was written in the time of ascetics. The people would literally like go into caves. We can also see brahmacharya as uh, uh, mastering 
or moderating our senses, I think, moderating, moderating the uh, power that our senses have over us. So, and also your sexual energy in particular, because yes, that's that should be something. Well, it is something very powerful. Yes, and should also be something sacred. Yeah, and yeah, sounds very mechanical, but well managed. Yeah, it should be something well managed. I think that there are people who use their sex to <clears throat> to their advantage mm-hmm. as a as a power tool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That use it to power hold power over people over others it's also a big brahmacharya is a lot of loyalty like if you are in a relationship that you should be in a committed mm-hmm. uh, committed relationship with your partner and of course if you have an agreement that you have a polygamous relationship then of course there's that agreement yeah. there's truthfulness in that but uh, that yeah you don't go sleeping around and and also yeah, wasting, wasting wasting the energy that, of your yeah. If you think about maybe people that are more on the addicted sides to sex and whatever, it's like yeah, really uh, embracing that energy and and knowing when to share it or not. Yeah, because I think it also if you apply this to other things that just like the saying of everything in moderation yeah kind of exactly yeah you could apply it because not indulging in certain senses like yeah. whether it's an addiction to sex or an addiction to drugs whether it's an addiction to mm. i don't know alcohol that <clears throat> doesn't mean that we don't we can't enjoy sex and the occasional drug <laughs> and alcohol but that we need to yeah be be ourselves in control of the energy behind those. Yeah, but classically, yeah, brahmacharya is don't have sex. Don't period. have sex. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is that? <clears throat> yeah, abstinence means not having it. It doesn't mean yeah. being moderate, right? No, it no. means not having abstinence sex. Abstinence is like yeah. I think it's because in Ayurveda, um, you have what's called your ojas, and your ojas yeah. is your like life force so everything that you take into your body um you gather up into your ojas which ends up in your genitals so that that ends up being your seed for reproduction but it also ends up being your aura right so your ojas is your aura and also your life force so what you um reproduce with yeah so i think it's really importance also in ayurveda that we uh we are aware mindful of how we wield this energy yeah it's kind of like keeping your subtle body like your energetic body in in balance we don't just want to be spilling our odors no (laughs) so as we're over here being celibate priests practicing our yoga um then we reach the last of the yamas which is aparigraha non-hoarding non-hoarding non-covetousness which is also a christian commandment that says thou shalt not covet and i think this is specifically in regards to thou shalt not covet thy neighbor like you shouldn't be unfaithful to your spouse you shall not covet. 
means that we should banish our desires for whatever does not belong to us, which is also uh, non-stealing. Mm-hmm. Basically, you shouldn't envy, be envious of your neighbor. Oh, uh, maybe greed. That's what it is. Yeah, but I think covetous, covetousness is not greed because you don't have it yet. It's desiring something that somebody else has. Mm. Which is uh, what uh, aparigrahe is. Yeah, not being greedy, also not coveting something that somebody else has, not being envious of. Mm. Like the grass is always greener. Yeah. But it's also literally non hoarding, like don't take yeah. more than what you need. Exactly. And I think also, yeah, kind of like be content with, your, with what you have rather than just try to grab all this other stuff. I think this also speaks to moderation as well, you know? Like yeah. In eating, like if we think of be moderate in what you eat and what you purchase. A party gotta. So then we move to the next step, the next limb is the, excuse me, <laughs> ni yamas. So we just talk about the yamas, now we talk about the ni yamas. We're talking about the self, so self-disciplined, as opposed to the ones in the social context, what we need to do for ourselves to be a good member of society that we live in. The first is a very important one. I think it, in these times of COVID, when we're <laughs> stuck inside, it might be one that we forget about. Well, <laughs> no, I think right now we need to emphasize this yes, one. Yes, we definitely need to emphasize this one. Uh, saucha. Cleanliness. Being Cleanliness. clean. Being clean. Being, I mean, it's also translated as purity, but this is cleanliness of not just the body but of the body the mind and the spirit but may i say hopefully it also starts oh, with the body it definitely because i'm sorry if your body is not clean your soul ain't gonna be clean girl yeah <laughs> well we did we have this whole discussion in the was it the clashes no wait um I think it was the clashes talking about the dis- how our body is impure. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We were it's a yes. form of evidia, mistaking pure for impure, and that the, often the body is seen as an impure thing because it's gross. Mm-hmm. We have a gross. Body. Yeah, that, that was kind of an interesting uh, intersection that uh, we had to go through last episode. So. Um, here we are literally talking about keeping your gross body <laughs> clean. <laughs> I think also it goes like keeping your world clean. Yes. So your body, your surroundings yeah. also, your practice room. Yeah. Your desk. Yeah. If you think, I don't know. Some people, of course, thrive on chaos and, and clutter. And there's method to their madness of stacks and stacks oh. of piles of things here and there. But honestly, I think if uh, to feel the like settledness and organization of a clean house or an organized space around you, it's so important. It really makes a difference in how clear your head is as well. I mean, I find that if I sit down and I have to study or read, and the space around me is there is no way. There's no way. I first have to get everything, like I have to get my space 
clean and then absolutely or like uh yeah even just trying to relax in such environments even forget about studying just like to just take a seat in that environment is yeah yeah. have you ever seen those tv shows i mean i'm a sucker for (laughs) reality tv but sometimes they have these shows about like people that uh, their house are a mess and then you see them yeah oh my god there's some crazy shows and then you see once the you know they come and they take everything out it's like oh these people change of course well isn't there a new big um who's the woman that wrote that book that was really mary uh, kondo uh, yeah but it's very interesting because she's her approach is like it's literally spiritual practice to organize and clean your home and choose the items that you're going to put in your home that they should give you energy not take energy from you so yeah absolutely she's very big on Sasha yeah yeah and also yeah having a clean body please may I just say since we're here especially if you're going to go and practice yoga with other people around you very important have a clean body yes a clean diet yes and of course, we can also take Sausha a little bit broader than that. It's like, yeah, um, clean thoughts, thoughts yeah. clean mouth, clean <laughs> which mouth. I don't have. Sorry, no, I love yeah. cursing. Um, uh, but yeah. I think also we can apply ahimsa here as well. So yes. this idea of like cleanliness or purity in your speech. that, And it, I think it's the intention behind it. The intention it. behind it, yes. But it also means be clean, people. Yeah. Especially now, wash your hands and all that good stuff. Definitely. Okay, number two, uh, the second niyama, santosha. I love the word santosha. I love it. I don't know why. It reminds me of the beach. Santosha. (laughs) I don't know. It kind of, yeah, it's a really cool word. What does santosha mean? Contentment. I think the perfect image of Santosha would be the picture this. of these cats <laughs> these on our laps. <laughs> They're so happy. But you know what? I think I am definitely embodying Santosha right now because I am so happy with having Biko on my lap. Yeah. What is another good word? Acceptance. Optimism. It's content the opposite of greedy. Kind of, right? Uh, I don't I don't know that it's the opposite, but I would say it's I think there's a big component of honesty in contentment, like seeing what seeing where you are, what you have, mm-hmm. even if it scares you, and accepting where you are at or what yeah. you have or what you don't have. So I think it's different in the sense of it's not about possessing something or not possessing something. It's about realizing where you're at or what you have or what you don't have and but realizing it gracefully let's exactly. say right yeah. not like oh well the fuck I'm here <laughs> but I really want to be there yeah yeah Santosha is like is equanimity being equanimous and also maybe appreciating a little bit yeah yeah maybe happy is not the right word but appreciating what you have yeah and where you're at yeah so what other good examples can we give of Santosha like, for example, I always wanted to be a singer, but I'm very happy with who I am and what I do today. Yeah. Or 
not dwelling in what it has not been, but rather celebrating what it is right now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Or I'm sure that a lot of, if I think about, you know, having to close the studio's doors, you know, and giving, um, doing my sort of via Zoom, I would much rather see these people in person. You know, I'd much rather be able to touch them and, um, but that's not, uh, that's not in reality right now. So having, being content with what is here and now, what's available in this moment and being able to work with yeah, what we can do now yeah, and what we can provide for ourselves and for those around us. Okay. Number three, the third Niyama. This one goes very good with uh, some uh, nice cold beer. Yeah, and I only. <laughs> Tapas. Tapas. Tapas is discipline, inner fire. Burning desire to, to learn. I like, I like the fire. I don't think it's always very well explained, but it is kind of like this, yeah, Maybe willpower a little bit. Yeah. I, willpower and, I think, uh, drive. Maybe. Yeah, also. But there's definitely, there's also a big chunk of discipline in there. Huge. Without it. Discipline. But yeah. sometimes they they translate it with another word that right now I cannot come to mind. Austerity? No. I don't know. Sometimes it gets translated in a way that, at least to me, it sounds a little bit negative. So I, I like the fire, like the yeah, the yeah the yeah. It's like you need this willpower, but it also means self discipline. I mean, yeah, there's no way around it. You need to be disciplined if you are on the path of yoga. Yeah, it's your, right. it is your sadhana, your practice, your yeah. daily practice. And doesn't mean that you need to hit yourself with a stick, but definitely is. Yeah, again, coming back to the senses, restraining yourself, being moderate, yeah, being Aust- consistent. It is considered, uh, translated as austerity. Yeah. The ability to tolerate hunger and thirst as well as all the dualities of life, mm. to avoid useless talk and to perform fasts. This is a, this is a uh, translation from mm. Edwin Bryant. Edwin. Yeah. Yeah, it, our ability to endure things that are uncomfortable things are hard to to go through struggle in order to come out the other side but yeah those are all things that require great discipline yeah precisely I mean um, it's like when you wake up in the morning I'm sure that everybody wants to you know turn around and sleep for another hour but no you don't do it you get up because you need to do your sadhana and uh, avoiding having that second portion of food the night before or not, and then yeah. dealing with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Consistency in your practice, even though that you may not be feeling 100% or super inspired every yeah. day. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Moving to number four, the fourth niyama, svadhyaya. Svadhyaya. For a long time, this was my thing. Like, I really... I really latched onto this while I was, I think this was back when I was doing teacher training. It was really something that resonated with me. Mm. 
Svadhyaya. Self-study. Self-study. This idea that uh, often it's translated classically as the study of sacred texts, which it is also. Um, But I think what I really like is seeing it as self-study, like the ability to really look at ourselves and to apply what we learn in how we see ourselves. So it's gaining insight. I think this is a a nice way of looking at... uh, Asvadhyaya is a way is gaining insight into ourselves the ability the willingness to look at ourselves and to see what's in front of us and see what's arising in the moment but it's interesting that it also gets translated at the, as the study of scriptures because it's kind of both because yeah. you need the scriptures to give you like a point of reference well if we think about the very first sutra Atta Yoga Anushasana. Yoga is now, the experience of now. Yeah. So all this stuff that was written down, whoever passed it along was experienced by somebody at some point and they had the brilliant idea of like, hey, if I pay attention to this, then this happens. Or hey, if I see myself, I see this recurring pattern. If I change that, then I can be happier in Mm -hmm. my life or see more clearly be more uh, loving in myself and in the world. Yeah. But that all happened because somebody did something. Somebody did catch it on time and and made a record of it. Somebody did the self-study. And they were like, hey. Well, I think another nice way of putting it is like self-reflection. Like, um, I mean, I don't think Svadhyaya means be amazing and be perfect, but kind of Maybe when you do make a mistake or something, it's like, are you able to look at yourself and yeah. and actually be like, oh, oops, <laughs> I, really I kind fucked of fucked it up. So <laughs> I'm going to need to go and apologize or yeah. I need to make this right now as opposed to do, 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 do. I don't know yeah. what uh, <laughs> what people are talking about. Yeah. But, but but I think it's it's I like the scriptures translation because I think personally, I think they're also necessary. Yeah in order to hold up that mirror we don't have to reinvent the wheel by ourselves somebody can exactly yeah and the big oh i love this one makes everybody always go like (laughs) so the last niyama is isvara pranidana which is what mercedes surrender surrender to (laughs) surrender to Surrender to God. Surrender to higher, higher, consciousness. higher consciousness. Devotion. I think it's the devotion. Devotion to something outside of yourself. You could also. I mean, it just came to me. You could also translate it as faith. Yes, definitely. Just nice Try and that. simple. Yeah. Which, I mean, I know this is a sticky one, and sometimes people get a little bit uncomfortable with it. But you kind of. If you don't have these, yeah, then yeah, you kind of are running on an empty tank. I agree with you. I had a hard time with this as well in the beginning. I think a lot of these books, especially these kind of old Indian translations, they're always using like these fancy English words, words that uh, nobody uses anymore. Mm-hmm. But they they do use the word God a lot, yeah. and I think that makes people very uncomfortable yeah um 
But God, it can be however you interpret, you know. But I think it takes some getting to know yourself to make peace with that. Definitely. I mean, definitely. Especially when you were brought up in, you know, some cultures like... Like, for example, I, I, I when I was very young, I went to non-school. Uh, which of course I cried every day so that my mom had to take me out of it and uh, yeah if, if if I would relate God to that oh my god of course I would be like so afraid I was so scared of those really scary nuns but yeah to me God is taking a deep breath in and doing ekam. Yeah. I mean I know it sounds cheesy but that very first breath and that very first movement I'm right there with a the big guy Yeah, and as much as I am a scientist, uh, I'm so in awe of life and It's how a miracle we, how we, with all the little things, with how all the cells in our body function, how the little molecules communicate with each other, it is that's crazy shit. It is crazy shit. <laughs> like I'm sorry, there's something. There's magic in that. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a higher intelligence. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's a good way to say it. I mean, it's it's all just too freaking amazing. Yeah. I remember that as a kid, I I used to like look at trees and and this guy and be like, whoa. Yeah. You know, because it's just like wow. And I think that's what Ishvara Pranidhana means. It's like wow. There's this big <laughs> big thing all around. Yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah, the bigger picture. The that higher that power which connects us all. That which you cannot control also. Yeah. Yeah. The unseeable, the unexplainable, the the unimpl yeah. I like it that you as a scientist say that. Very well, good. This is also one of the things that had me leave science. Yeah. So I think I think there's more let's call it uh, open scientists. I've met I agree, but I But it's is definitely the minority. But I think sometimes science is trying to have an explanation point. for everything. That's true. And I think sometimes we need to leave it and we don't need to explain everything. Yeah. I think that's part of faith. So we step to the third limb. Everyone knows this one. Everyone knows this one. Everyone associates, thinks that this is yoga. <laughs> That's so funny. It's just like one little part of yoga. Yeah. We're going to talk about that after we name them all, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So the third limb is asana. Asana. And asana means seat. The literal uh, position of sitting like for instance preparing yourself for meditation mm -hmm. we can also see it figuratively as taking our seat taking our seat within our uh, within our body in being embodied becoming coming into ourselves like a, the literal earthbound part of ourselves being grounded uh, to the earth and everything around us um To, yeah, taking control of our body and responsibility of our body, which we talked about. Yeah. Also, also keeping time. your body healthy, well balanced. Yeah, if we think about like the practice of asana or the practice of postures that we take, we really use the postures to help uh, loosen up any like weird 
knots in the body and Mm -hmm. knots can be on the muscular physical level or they can be on the energetic levels working imbalances exactly so working working through getting getting things unstuck and flowing so that we can be comfortable in our body and sit it's kind of like tuning your instrument yeah so that you can play that beautiful music of self-realization yeah. if yeah if you're out of tune or with pains and aches how are you ever going to take a seat yeah so yeah i mean in other words it is meaning yoga posture but of course there's a lot more to just do warrior one yes <laughs> hopefully people that are listening to this already have a little concept of that but uh yeah it means taking a seat taking care of your body of your house yeah of your tool so the fourth limb of yoga is pranayama it's also interesting because as we move through the limbs so basically we move from uh gross to subtle so uh we start with these like concepts big concepts and determining how we act and then in the society around us and how we act ourselves our own kind of moral code and then we need to take care of this thing that is bringing us through our daily life, our physical body. And then we're going to move even deeper uh, into the next layer of ourselves by starting to work more on an energetic level. And that's when we bring in the practice of pranayama. Uh, and pranayama is uh, breath, basically. Uh, working on... And prana literally means energy. Exactly, prana as, as life force, as, life as force. energy. So like uh, expansion of energy, yeah. extension of energy, yes. So last night, uh, I wasn't there, but Mercedes, you were there, you can talk a little bit about it. Um, a good friend of Mercedes who does a course for us, uh, Laurent, came and had a little chat with her, with students, right, about... All yeah yeah we did we did uh indeed i'm funny he was talking about the he was talking about uh, how in the ashtanga yoga in the eightfold path this is this is such an important um limb because it's like the bridge between the outer and the internal yeah and uh how is yeah the vehicle to these more subtle parts of our being and, and how we can really access these parts through the practice of pranayama yeah and it's also interesting that it's after and together with asana, right? So if we want to learn to control these energies and learn to observe them, like first we have to get the, the shell balanced and in order, yeah. right? So pranayama, we usually, you know, I think that's a big hype right now, breath work. Yeah. Everybody. Well, because finally, you know, a lot of people are realizing that these very old texts are like right on the money and then people are just yeah. reinventing but I have to say wheel. this really bothers me because I know then people are like, like come on people give my method it's so amazing it's like dudes Patanjali spoke about this of years. yes come on yeah. now that's, that's so well I know it's like we have all these new things and nothing is new no nothing I mean everybody Kudos to those who can bring it in a way that it reaches more people. That's true. You That's know, true. I have to say. With Though, it. yeah, it's like, come on, this is not a new thing. 
We have all been quietly working on this. Patanjali. In our yoga, sweaty <laughs> yoga rooms. Yes. <laughs> so now we're going to the fifth? The fifth limb. The charioteer riding behind the You're crazy so horses. <laughs> well, that's what it's often referred to. Yeah, that's So true. the fifth <laughs> limb is called... Pratyahara, which is control of the senses. Mm-hmm. So it is often thought of as the, the five senses are like these wild horses. I was going to say the dogs. <laughs> the dogs. <laughs> they are the horses. Wild dogs. <laughs> the hyenas. Wild dogs. No, well, uh, yeah, the wild horses. The wild horses, which we uh, then try to become like a charioteer who has control over all of these, uh, who tames these wild horses and brings them into line. I don't know who first came up with this. Uh, well, that's uh, kind of like how the Bhagavad Gita is interpreted. Yeah. yeah. I think I think it's always been in Indian teachings. Yeah. This idea of the charioteer. And yeah. That's true. The Bhagavad Gita is the chariot and the charioteer. Yeah, it's interesting that comes also after pranayama, right? So you moved your body or the aches and pains hopefully are a little bit more yeah. gone. Um, then you got into the subtlety of your own breath and now, yeah, you're kind of like more, let's say, disengaged with the external and yeah. more engaged with the internal. Yeah, this is like the key of opening or starting the relationship between the outer and the inner body. I mean, um, pranayama is moving into the subtle body, but I would say without this key, then we can't see the internal world. So maybe pranayama, I should think of it this way, maybe. Pranayama is like work, is doing energetic work, and that pratyahara is the key to opening the door onto the mind. It's kind of like, like you're opening the door to like this big, long, <laughs> awesome hallway. And at the end of the hallway, you have delight. Yeah. But this is really like either the key or the door. This is just the very beginning. Yeah. But without pranayama, you couldn't get to that door. That's the thing. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure if you're very established in practice, yeah, but we're talking in the context of the, the limbs. But I would say almost that in the context of the limbs, pranayama is almost... Pranayama is a way, just less asana, their concentration practices of bringing the mind into focus. Yeah. But in order to bring the mind into focus, you have to have prati- pratyahara. The skill of pratyahara also has to be there. So it's kind of like... It may be a separate limb, but it's almost like all of these yeah. three limbs should be infused. Like there are yeah. three uh, limbs that are uh, leaving the tree trunk at the same height. Let's yeah. say almost. Yeah, they all yeah that's that's a very good point because hopefully, while you're practicing, let's say asana, you're also practicing pratyahara. Yeah. Otherwise, you are. Yeah, if you're looking at the fly on the wall and then looking at the leggings from the person next to you. Or and not feeling what's going on with your body. Or not feeling or not willing to... Yeah. Yeah. 
that it's to feel just what you feel flopping around on your mat like a fish but yeah pratyahara again could be related to willpower yeah definitely it's so like kind mastery, of mastery over our external influences cravings yeah and 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 also that willingness to keep coming back to this moment yeah it's like when uh, you know in class i i I always say it doesn't matter if you lose your attention, but that that moment when when you're willing to bring yourself back, it's like telling the puppy, "Come back here, sit down." Yeah. Yeah. yeah without that, anything else is yeah, kind of like pointless, right? Otherwise, just like you said, you can be flopping on that mat all you want yeah. every day, two, three hours. Yeah. You can be breathing mindlessly. Yeah. You can be doing everything. You can in take a, a deep breath and, and not practice pranayama. Yeah. You can do yoga postures and not practice asana. Yeah. This control of the senses is really, we can think of it as a way of providing like nutrients to ourselves on different levels. So, in order to nourish the body with asana for instance that we have to also have this limb control of senses so that we can be present in the moment to feel what's going on because it's not that we are closing ourselves off to sensation but that we're uh, engaged in the sensations of the moment and not letting us uh, letting ourselves be led by them yeah I don't know, you want to feel, you want to be, you want to feel the sensa- sensation. So those senses are online, but we're not being distracted by those sensations yeah. or the thoughts that are associated with those sensations. Yeah, it's like, it's so funny when people say, oh, I love practicing yoga because it makes me switch off. I'm yeah. like, then you're not practicing well, you're not yoga, mate. yoga, yeah. <laughs> You want to switch on, you want to connect to that big amplifier and be like, yeah, that's hopefully what we're doing. Not like, oh, switching off. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I always, uh, yeah, that's always, I'm like, oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So Pratyahara. Yes. Pratyahara. So then what would be the rest? So now we open the door to the internal. What is the rest of the corridor? (laughs) <laughs> the rest of the corridor begins with dharana, which is basically translated to concentration. Because once we've tamed the horses, or the dogs, or the dogs, or the pigs, or whatever, <laughs> the wild animals, then we, then we are able to have concentration. You know, they say the average person has an attention span of two to three seconds which I think is being generous <laughs> oh yeah it's it's crazy yeah yeah this I, is something is that, that we have to is work that the on. same as the goldfish less more I don't know because I'm sorry I'm like I feel like a goldfish I don't think that's fair to goldfish because <laughs> then we really suck we have like this super intelligent machine and we're like uh, uh, just not paying attention <laughs> what is all, that ever. Yes. Well, we also have so much, so much stimulus coming in that if we don't use pratyahara, right, we just get 
frazzled and caught up in the whirlwind of iPhones. (laughs) Yeah, the whirlwind of iPhones and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so we have to start with taming the senses. Well, like getting control of our body, getting control of our energy, gaining control of our senses, and then we're ready to put this into practice and start working on concentrating the mind. Um, and really, that is the, the stepping stone to then the seventh limb, which is meditation or dhyana. Yeah, I think, yeah, steady focus, long held, yeah, meditation. So you, you already stop bringing your focus back. You are established in that focus. Yeah, but we first need to be able to hold our attention. Hopefully for longer than three seconds. Oh my God, sometimes when I sit for meditation, it's like my attention is already gone before my butt hits mm. the cushion. And then yeah. it's like, okay. And I spend the entire time. I like Dina Kensberg when we practiced with her, she made a great analogy of um, you talked about the puppy, and Peg has talked about the puppy as well, right? Keeping the puppy, when you're training a puppy, to get it to sit and stay. And Dina Kinsberg talks about um, putting a child on a chair. <laughs> that basically, the, our mind is the child. Right, and the concentration practice is the chair, and that we need to keep the child on the chair. And that usually, if you know kids, <laughs> if you know anybody, that they're going to get up and off the chair within a few seconds. <laughs> so sometimes it's like running around looking for the kid or trying to grab the kid and put it back on the chair, like, stay here. Okay, come on, back to the chair, back to the chair. And then for some people, and some days I know for myself, it's like the kid was never there to begin with. Like, I don't even know where the kid is. (laughs) I don't have a kid to put on the chair. The kid went (laughs) running around. You're still looking for the kid. It's like you don't even know where the kid is. I don't even know. No, at that point it's like, am I supposed to be looking for a kid? I think that's the point when I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing something with a kid. Where's this kid that I'm looking for? So oftentimes what we call or refer to as meditation is actually the practice of concentration, concentration practice, trying to just keep bringing yourself back uh, before you can yeah, have a... Uh, like a continual flow of... A moment of a, peace. A moment of peace for yourself, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can let yourself rest in attention. That's a nice way, I think, of seeing meditation, resting in attention. Well, which, which it is. That's why things like reading a book are so relaxing, right? I mean, it's so funny because we tend to think of concentration as something really tedious. Yeah. But once we're in that flow of concentration, yeah. it's such a peaceful state. It's it is just a- that we we kind of forget about it and we think about it like oh boring or heavy yeah but when you're really concentrated when you're i don't know painting or reading or even sewing or knitting or basket weaving whatever it is come on it's an amazing state it is really it is a flow state referred to as a flow state but they also there a couple years ago i think well, it was probably a lot longer than a couple of years ago. There were a couple studies with uh, athletes talking about uh, when they enter a flow state, basically when you're in a moment of such uh, intense concentration that 
our, often our perception of time uh, skews, that things slow down. Mm. This is actually a meditative state. It's like you override the monkey mind. Yeah. Well, it's like when you, I don't know, even if you're just like having a great time with your friends or yeah. at a concert and you're totally absorbed by you're not hopefully you're not looking at your watch every two seconds and yeah. you know it's these moments when you are yeah so in the moment that everything else falls away yeah oh i miss those moments come on corona <laughs> <laughs> so this was uh, diana diana meditation. yeah so, so uh, actually in a way it's kind of like intensifying the previous ones right yeah kind of we can also think about it like that i like um deepak chopra calls it glimpsing the soul oh that's beautiful and i so get why he says that yeah well yeah it's well we're gonna talk about what the next one is and i think this one is already a mini next one yeah well i think Maybe it's good to say, in the context of yoga, when we talk about meditation, often we talk about uh, the observer and the observed. Because when we're meditating, we're generally meditating on an object. Whether the object is your breath or a candle flame or sensations of the body or the moment-to-moment passage of time, whatever. Uh, that generally you have an object that you are um, a point of focus a point of focus Uh, and that in the state of meditation there is still this awareness that you are an observer who is observing something Uh, and then at some point this starts to uh, these lines start to get a bit fuzzy but that, uh, yeah, like we were talking about the flow state. Basically, when we're in a state of meditation, we become absorbed in the object of meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's complete absorption, right? And this is called samadhi. 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 Yeah. And there are different uh, states. Absorption, not self-absorption. Not self-absorption. <laughs> Absorption. Uh, <laughs> You have different levels of samadhi. All right, so there's samadhi in the beginning. When, I mean, it's basically like uh, we become one with an object, and then at one point we realize that we are not one with an object. That we not we because there is no we come out separation. of it. Yeah. Oh, you mean like that? Yeah, like there's no separation between. Yeah, we come out of meditation and we're like, oh, fuck, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah, then you come out of it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, indeed, Patanjali then describes different stages of samadhi, which, well, we're not going to get into this, otherwise this is going to be like a nine-hour <laughs> podcast. So there we have it, the eight limbs of yoga. You know what I find interesting? <laughs> you know what I find interesting? Um, that the method that we both practice and share with our students is called Ashtanga Yoga. Yeah. So hopefully when we are showing up to our mats every day, we're not just practicing one of these limbs. We're not just practicing asana or pranayama, but we are 
incorporating all of these limbs all the time. Yeah. They work together. They're not separated from each other. Yeah. Okay, there's a certain order, but at the end of the day, if one of them is missing, then you're not really then you're not really practicing yoga, which I think is yeah, nowadays there's a lot of postural emphasis. Yeah. And uh, some of these other limbs are totally ignored or forgotten yeah. about or maybe not even spoken about. Yeah. These are all tools to bring our selves closer to that ooey gooey yummy center which yeah. is God yeah or whatever you want to call it and that makes yeah. you feel comfortable mm-hmm. that which is greater than ourselves love yeah love, love. nature yeah yeah it's, I think it's it's so funny because it's like you do all these practices and crazy things just to realize that everything you need is within yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so don't bother, guys. I you mean, already know the answer. All you have to do is peel the onion to realize that that little bit on the very inside is the sweetest part. It's the it sweetest was there part. all along. It was there all along. It was there all along. Yeah. yeah. Ashtanga yoga. Maybe it's nice to mention that uh, it's funny because it's, it's, the yamas and the niyamas are really the foundation of everything. Yeah. Because you can sit in meditation towards the day. You can be an amazing asana performer. You can retain your breath for a couple of minutes and jump into a fucking cold pool. But if you're an asshole... <laughs> you're an asshole. Then... Yeah. What is the point? If you're selfish, if you are mean mean and not giving a damn about anyone around you, then what is the point? Yoga is there to support us, to elevate to us. To elevate us. That's it. Just about to say elevate. Yeah, to elevate us. Yeah. Because I think so often we can use the practice of yoga to hit ourselves with a stick. <laughs> And other times to hit others with a stick and yeah. be like, look at me, I'm so fabulous. Yeah. People at the end of the day, if you put your leg behind the head or if you just pretend you put your leg behind the head, it's the same. It's like, what is happening in the moment? Yeah. What are your intentions? Where are you directing your energy towards? Yeah. Um, are you present? Are you not? This is what makes yoga. Yeah, who are you and how are you being in that moment? What do you choose to engage with? Yeah. All right. We leave you with this nice big onion dip for you to <laughs> smear yourselves with. And um, yeah, as always, if you have questions, comments, suggestions, please do reach out. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. All right, everyone. Have a great weekend or a great week and hopefully until soon. Bye-bye. Bye.